0: Hello and welcome to the Attribution Marketing Podcast, where we help businesses, brands, and entrepreneurs get more out of their marketing and advertising spend. On today's episode, we have Rosie Zion from the famous Dr. Miami, or you might know them as Bal Harbor Plastic Surgery. Rosie and Dr. Miami have really created a tremendous brand and operation in South Florida, known around the world. So we're gonna talk to Rosie about how they were able to accomplish that and some of the complexities of doing marketing in a HIPAA compliant way with a lot of emphasis placed on patient and consumer privacy. So Rosie, thank you so much for being on the show today. That
1: was a nice intro. Thanks, Lucas.
0: I just freestyled that one. So <laughs> if you, you would just break us down your story because you're in an interesting spot before we even mm-hmm. started the episode, you gave me a, quite an interesting update to say the least. So Tell us how you uh, (laughs) got into this organization and just the whole career arc, story arc of you and Dr. Miami, if you would.
1: I'm an attorney from New York and I was doing intellectual property, trademarks, patents, stuff like that, and kind of got sick of the whole New York life, I don't know, grind. And I thought I'd come to Miami because Michael, Dr. Miami, and uh, my sister are married and we're just starting out their practice and they needed some help. So I figured I'd make a little career change for a little bit, take a little time off and help them do that. And I never left. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting field where it's a medical practice, but it's plastic surgery. So it definitely is a bit more fun than your typical doctor's office because we get to change people's lives, change the way people look, give them more confidence. And we found that a lot of people are interested in makeover stories and seeing changes like that. So it has a lot of interest from the public. We started doing little TV appearances and then we did YouTube. We did music videos on YouTube. We found this like local band to make this like funny song and the local videographer to make all these like funny music videos about plastic surgery and then because of all of that we got like some tv producers got interested in us and we started we did our first pilot reality tv show that at first it didn't get picked up so around the same time instagram and snapchat started becoming popular so we just started posting before and after pictures snapchat started having a story feature so we started showing surgeries and everyone just ate it up so it just blew up I think we were probably because we were the first doctor to do it and like I said there's a lot of interest in makeover stories so that just we started building a brand around that so he's Dr. Miami he was everyone followed us on Snapchat and Instagram to see our work and then the TV producers got interested in us again and we did one season of Dr. Miami on WeTV and then a little bit later we had a documentary producer. He did a whole documentary, I think, in the like Canadian film festivals and all that. And the Miami Film Festival, too. It came out right around COVID. There's just a lot of public interest in what we do, which is great.
0: So tell us about the subscribers and the followers sure. and engagement yeah. and all that stuff.
1: So Snapchat, at the height of Snapchat, when we first started, we have about about a million viewers a day watching our stories. That's like A million unique people watching it. Instagram, we have 1.6 million followers. TikTok, we have 1.1 million followers. So we definitely have a huge following on all the social media platforms that kind of tune into us all the time. And even our office we have now, it's called the Dark Miami Tower. We regularly get visitors who are like just stopping by Miami, we're like one of the tourist spots to come in. (laughs) So it's been a cool. It's definitely been a cool experience, a cool ride. It's been cool.
0: So I think it's an important thing to bring up because some people are uh, can put out shocking content, let's say, or sensational content or, or even clown around on social media. And that might get you a big following. But one of the things that really stuck with me about Dr. Miami and just, we did a, a video one time and he was breaking down the whole beauty is is power mm-hmm. and how you feel and your outward appearance and the benefits of plastic surgery, they might seem like on the surface it's a nose job or it's vain or it's mm-hmm. about vanity, but in reality, it it makes you feel different about yourself. When you feel different about yourself, you make different decisions, mm-hmm. your life changes. Yeah. So I think it's like a really interesting piece that I had never considered as let's just say not a customer of plastic surgery, mm-hmm. but I wanted mm-hmm. you to break that down because I think yeah. that uh Concept makes it into the brand. It makes it into your email outreach. It makes it into your marketing channels, and it's not just yeah. about crazy surgery videos on Snapchat. So, mm-hmm. walk us through that because I think uh, it's an important piece of the brand.
1: For sure. So, I actually spelled the same way, Lucas, when I first started. I, I didn't think I thought plastic surgery was just total vanity, superficial, but it's really not. It does change someone's life. I I see it daily, like people who will come in. And, Women will come in. They can't even make eye contact with you because they're so like shy and don't feel well about themselves. And then they come back a few months later and they're loud and um, bubbly and have confidence. And our mission statement is we believe in the power of plastic surgery to tra- transform lives. It's a way for the outside to reflect the inside of you. And it's why we do what we do. Our purpose was to just demystify the whole thing about plastic surgery and make it accessible to everybody so that they could have the courage to change to make the change that they want to make so that was our driving force and I think you're right that's why I spoke to a lot of people
0: knowing that you've been involved in the practice since I don't want to say pre-internet because that makes it seem like we're all super old I just mean before the internet was (laughs) before social
1: media yeah (laughs) yeah
0: there you go even before social media um just talk to us about how the the medical industry or maybe just plastic surgery specifically has changed. How has marketing changed, operations mm-hmm. changed and, and everything in between yeah. that that you've yeah. seen? How has it uh, been impacted? So take it away. So,
1: so we were like... If- I'm pretty early a doctor of social media. So in the beginning, it was a lot of outcry, like, how could we do this? Like a lot of doctors were very anti-social media and didn't think it was befitting the medical uh, world, but they've all changed. <laughs> so now instead of they all like all the doctors have hopped on because they realize that it's really the only way to communicate to people these days is through social media. And um Like I said, we always only cared about our patients and getting the message out to them. And they realized that we were right. And it was very kicking and screaming, but they're all on there. You can go on TikTok and see how many doctors are there doing dances. It's funny. (laughs) Yeah. When they would never have done it. I tell Dr. Miami, he's like the social media godfather. He opened up the world for everybody because he started it. And now they all think it's okay to do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He was like the first rapper or something like that. I'm sure he would love that (laughs) analogy as well. That's a nice segue into the next question, which is basically you're up against HIPAA. You're posting before and after. So you have surgery videos. People are giving Mm -hmm. consent. There's things you Mm -hmm. can do, you can't do. Talk us Mm -hmm. through... How consumer privacy and and HIPAA impacts your ability to to do marketing or operations or just how does it play into how the business works as a whole?
1: Obviously, we can't just show whatever we want or we see a patient that we think would make a great before and after. We can't just post their pictures. We have to, everybody has to sign a consent and to be able to show their Um, pictures and you can't put pressure on them to do it it's not like you you just have to make it totally their choice if they want to do it yes no no hard feelings either way but you'd be surprised how many people do want to share their story they really like to be on social media and see um watch their own surgery have their family watch it be able to look at it again so they really I guess it's their time to shine. So a lot of patients are okay with it. And then the other pieces like you were saying with all the software you use and there's a lot of like cool tools that you know other businesses can use and that we can't unless they're HIPAA compliant. So I've struggled finding a lot of automated softwares and CRMs and marketing tools that people use that I can't because they're not HIPAA compliant. So that's I think more and more companies are becoming that way, but you can't take it for granted. You have to do research and make sure that they are before you could use their products.
0: So I think it, it's an interesting point because a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast are dealing enterprise level data privacy and issues like that. And so what mm-hmm. I think is interesting is say you use MailChimp for email, but you use Acuity for your CRM and you use Monday for task management mm-hmm. and things like that. But the data... As You're responsible for the data. So even if you can't just say I pass that information through MailChimp or I use MailChimp to send this information, MailChimp has the information, you're responsible for them being responsible, meaning you can't just rely on their privacy policies and cross your fingers and and hope that uh, they're HIPAA compliant. You have to go through all that. So. How do you manage or what do you do in the process to procure software to make sure that all of that was lined up and compliant?
1: So so MailChimp is not HIPAA compliant, so it can't use that. you have to rely on other software. So I think as long as you're crossing all your keys and dotting your eyes, you should be okay. At least I'm hoping. So but there's a lot of like softwares that I'd had that I had to forego, like MailChimp, but Airtable. I don't even remember how many I've looked through to see when I could finally come up to a HIPAA compliant software. And then the other thing is you normally have to pay more. If they offer HIPAA compliance, you have to sign up for the enterprise level, even if you're not enterprise, you know, even if you could get away with just having a few users, you have to sign up for the enterprise level to get the HIPAA compliant software, the servers and all of that. It becomes difficult because if you want to use, there's patient software that you want to use And you'd love it to sync up with a bunch of other different software so that you could do automation and do workflows. It's hard because you have to find a practice management software that does open up their APIs, which most of them do not. And then you have to find like the HIPAA compliant integrations that will work with it. So yeah, it's definitely complicated. And I just try to do my best to, you know, get everything correct, if that makes sense.
0: Got it. It's uncharted waters, I think. Nobody knows. Everybody's learning as we go because um, these things change so fast. So I think just transitioning out of some of that boring back-end stuff, let's talk more about (laughs) marketing. I know you guys are big into communicating with your prospects on all these channels. I've seen some of your email sequences. I know you guys are active on text and things like that as well. I think last time I looked at it, there was something like 70 or 80 different steps, different messages that's personalized to each person, depending on the surgery and where they're at in the journey. So Mm -hmm. obviously a tremendous amount of work went into that. I was hoping you could break down what it took to put that together and just walk us through your entire uh, customer journey map and how you walk people uh, into being, let's say, new leads then you convert them into prospects. I know there's some BMI filters mm-hmm. and things that make people qualified or not qualified. Now they're in the mm-hmm. system. You communicate with them, and then finally they become mm-hmm. paying patients. And I'll shut up here in a yeah. second. After they become <laughs> paying patients, I know you guys you still don't let them go. You're after yeah. with the post-op care, and you take care yeah. of them, and you make sure everybody's happy. So I think you've done a yeah. tremendous job with that. And I wanted you to Thank break you. it down uh, for our listeners in how you Great. put that together and how it all works.
1: Sure. Um, So basically, like you said, there's different stages of the patient life cycle, at least in our practice. We just broke them down into each stage. So there's, we, you know, can't, we have certain criteria of patients that we will work with based on health criteria that we think because obviously to help everybody, but we want to make sure it's safe. Plastic surgery is still elective. So you have to be in you know, perfect health before you would go ahead with a surgery like this. So we filter out people who would have, at the get-go, we have a filter that filters out people who don't meet our medical criteria. And then after that, they go into prospect stage where we have them make uh, phone consults, virtual consults we do most things virtually now. COVID kind of sped that along, but it ended up, it works out better for everybody. I think it's a lot easier time-wise at the office, time-wise for patients. They don't have to commute into the office. And then once they decide to have surgery with us, they go through a long sequence of like prep for surgery. They have to prepare, like get certain medical tests done, make sure they have all their ducks in a row before they have their surgery. So they get a lot of automated emails and text messages with reminders of what they need to do. And then and afterwards, they also, well, like once somebody has surgery with us, we consider them, they've become part of our family. So we keep in touch with them forever after that. So automation helps with that a lot too. Sending them automated text messages with the link to schedule a virtual post-op appointment. A lot of automation really helps. I'm sure it helps everybody, but there's a lot of like touch points that we have to do like at certain times during the life their life cycle with us. Being able to automate that so that they get those contacts at the appropriate time has been super helpful. And I just keep working on making it better and better all the time to try to find a new software that will integrate everything and make it smoother so that there's no, we're trying to leave as little as possible to human error so that nobody gets forgotten and nobody falls through the cracks. So it just is not like constantly evolving process to make it better and better. So I spend a lot of time doing that. that I I bother you a lot (laughs) with that.
0: Well, that's good. I think that's what keeps you ahead of the competition. And I think too many folks, maybe plastic surgery isn't the best analog, but too many folks think that the relationship is over after the conversion. Or we see companies and marketers who basically take the position that marketing itself is done after the lead is generated. So it's like, we did our job, we did the social media post, a bunch of people filled out the you know, request for an appointment, marketing's over. You guys have yeah. taken a much broader mm-hmm. view, the correct view, longer term view to say, no, we're gonna stay in touch with these folks, gonna help them convert into paying customers. But like you mentioned, you bring them into the family, you, you take care of them, mm-hmm. you care about them, they're part of the tribe. And Mm -hmm. I think that's reflected in your results, in your social media following, in the interest from the uh, TV producers and things like that. Kudos to you for investing uh, in marketing in that way because the brands that are winning these days are really investing in that entire customer journey. Mm -hmm. And you guys have done a great job of that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: It's not easy. The landscape's always changing. So let's say you were to pull out any one particular component of that customer journey. How do you track the success? Is it open rates? Is it booking requests on the website to sit downs with the patient and then from sit downs to book surgeries? What are some of those KPIs that you're looking at that says this marketing channel is working well or this piece of the customer journey is not working
1: well? We look at total, the total leads we get, the web form conversions. That's like the first one we look at and the total number of people who actually make like a consultation appointment after they send in their info and then we send them our info, basically like how much we cost, like what our process is. So then we see how many people decide to go to step two. And then obviously step three is how many people book their surgeries. And then step four is we have surveys to make sure they're happy with their procedure, their results, their care afterwards. We rated on a bunch of different things to see where we can improve in the process. Those are the four areas we look at. It's not necessarily like the volume of surgeries that we do, which, you know, is important, but we just want to make sure everybody has a good experience because like you said, we really do care about the results and the process and the experience. So we we just try to make it as good as the best we can. We don't ever want to feel like we're selling. We want to feel like we're actually doing a service. So we're not like pushy salespeople.
0: I think that was a, a great explanation for the right way to do it. You're not pushing. Mm-hmm. you You care and you measure along each step, and the results speak for themselves. So mm-hmm. I think just to wrap up, have a couple final questions here. But if somebody finds themselves um, going to set out on this path, maybe not at, it, it might not be, being forced to be HIPAA compliant, but let's just say somebody's in a sensitive industry where marketing is regulated, consumer privacy is heavily regulated. What are some of your tips and tricks on what they should do, first steps, as they look to, to find software or get the business organized in the proper way? What, maybe what are some tips and tricks that you could give folks to getting started on the right foot?
1: Most of the softwares are pretty open with what security features they have. So I would just make sure they meet the requirements of what you're looking for or get on the phone with them just to make sure so that this is exactly what you need. Because it sucks to go down a whole path and then realize you can't use it because it violates something. So I would just do the homework before you sign up with anything. And then also putting waivers wherever you can so that people know and if they want to text with us, they have to sign this waiver. Because someone could get their phone or our phones or we try to keep it as private as possible. But you know, there's is a limit on what you could do. So I would put waivers in place wherever you can just to protect yourself and to let people know so they can make the decision if they want to communicate with you this way. I think good faith and doing the best you can is goes a long way.
0: And last but not least. As if people need any more help, where can they find you? Tell us how, let's say you're a potential patient up there. You want to get some surgery from Dr. Miami. Where would they go? What should they Google? Silly question. And then the second question is, if maybe folks are looking to um, bring you in as a speaker, talk about social media or any of these sort of data privacy or medical related, medical marketing related issues, where would they reach out to you, Rosie, separate from, let's say the practice for Dr. Miami? Mm
1: -hmm. So for Dr. Miami, you could go to the website is therealddrmiami.com. And there's forms to fill out to become a patient. Or if you want to contact our office or contact me personally, the best way is normally to text me at 305-455-0483. And I monitor that pretty regularly. (laughs) So that's the best way to reach me.
0: That was the first text message drop <laughs> that we've had on the podcast so far. That's the coolest yeah. way to do it. Oh, just text me. Yeah. Just text yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, There you go. Thank you so much to Rosie for being on the show. You guys heard it here first. If you are looking to build self-confidence, change your life, plastic surgery might be the answer. Give Dr. Miami a Google and look at the incredible marketing results that they have had by investing in social media and the customer journey. And investing in all those channels. It's really built to practice, and they are one of the premier plastic surgery marketing firms and operations on the planet. So, thanks again to Rosie for being on the show. This is the Attribution Marketing Podcast. (laughs)